The glory of the cross. The glory of the cross. It's a funny thing if we could uh, drop back 2,000 years and, uh, and show the typical symbol of the, of the Christian church to those who lived in that Roman era. And they would look at us, and I see some of you ladies have crosses around your neck, and, and we think of the cross, and we love the cross, and all that. And uh, if we jump forward into our day, it would be equivalent to having uh, a gas chamber on a nice, right? What? Oh, I love your gas chamber you have hanging around your neck. Oh, is that, is that an electro, electro, electrocution uh, seat there? Yes, it is. How do you like it? It's, it's 24 karat. Oh, it's so beautiful. I mean, they would think it's really odd, but rightfully so, rightfully so, the cross, because the great intersection of the love of God and the justice of God for us intersected there that day, this week, as we remember the crucifixion of Jesus, uh, rightfully so, and all that was accomplished there, it's only right that now 20 centuries later, we who are part of the bride of Christ should celebrate the cross. Paul said, I glory, I will glory in nothing save the cross of Jesus. Oh, it's glorious indeed. There is the glory of the cross, John 19. Well, today's Palm Sunday. You see on your sheet, your handout, it's a long-awaited day in which the king rode into the holy city presenting himself. We looked at Zechariah 9.9. Zechariah had written that by the Spirit of God hundreds of years ahead of time. And here he comes riding in on the exact day. How about that? That's pretty lucky, right? We have a world that believes in random chance luck, you know? I got news for you. There's no such thing as luck or randomness in a world that God is sovereign and king and glorious. I mean, we're right on God's timetable. Do you know? Amen? We're right on his timetable. He didn't say like, oh, I didn't know today's Sunday. Oh, I didn't know today's Palm Sunday. I didn't know these folks would be here. I didn't. God never said, I didn't know. Listen, when you're omniscient and you have a plan that includes all things in the glory of God to the glory of God... Uh, uh, there is no chance and there is no ignorance. This, is, this began on your sheet the final week of Jesus' life on earth, for he would soon be arrested. <clears throat> he had been announcing it forever to his disciples. You go like, you know, what were they? You, you, know, you read the gospel and you go like, what was it, slow class? He kept saying to it, I must needs go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be re Peter rebuking him. He's telling him over and over again, you know, the only thing you're going to get is a sign of Jonah. Three days dead. And then uh, this, that's it. Raise this temple up, you know. And then it's like they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They didn't get it. You ever read your Bible? And now you've been years later and you go like, you're reading like, oh, I never saw that. You're like, why? You know, that's a, you're at a different point in life, the Spirit of God. You're, you know, it, there it is. And I, I relate to that. It's, it, it really, he's arrested. He's tried this monkey trial. He's beaten. There was a passion or suffering of Jesus. Beaten beyond more. What, what kind of, what? wow, God would allow, would, I mean, if you had a son, would you allow your son that? Would you give your son like that? Beaten for those scoundrels. You're in the picture there, and so am I. A holy man, the only one who truly never deserved. I mean, we deserve. You get what you deserve. My father said that before he spanked me. You're going to get what you deserve. 
the truth of it is, I look back years later, I probably got half of what I deserved. If he knew the other half, you know, like, and the only one that never deserved anything, suffered this week. I hope you, you reread the gospel account this week of moving toward the cross. He's arrested, he's abused, he's whipped, he's, his beard is pulled out. He's, it's amazing he survived even to the execution day and moment. The Lamb of God willingly gave his life for the sheep on that horrible, horrible cross. Well, what, did, what, uh, what Jesus did on that horrible cross, it was brutal, and only the Romans and their geniuses could come up with such an, a terrible execution instrument. How humili humiliating would be such a thing to, to come in and destroy a people or a town and, uh, and you take the leaders out, you strip them naked, you beat them up, and then you nail them to, uh, to posts like this. And you let them die for days. And then other people get the message, I don't think we're going to rebel against Rome. That's sort of a terrible way to die, right? I don't think I want to do it. There's the mayor, there's the president, there's, he's ahead of Kiwanis. They're all, they're boom, 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 there's my doctor. You know, like, you get the message. It was a brutal, brutal tool of execution. But I'm saying to you, what Jesus did on that horrible cross amounted to the greatest work ever done. Now let that sink in for a minute. The greatest work ever done. Greater than creation. That's according to the scriptures. Greater than creation. The Bible says that God created, he spoke the word. The Psalms confirm it all the way through. In a matter of six days, God made the heavens and the earth and everything in them. Ex nihilo, from nothing, we find in the Colossians 1. God speaks and it comes to be. You say, well, how's that? If I'm doing a project, I go down to Home Depot and I get a pile of two-by-fours and some nails. And then I begin to put together whatever it is, right? And God, when, God, when you're God and omnipotent and almighty, he speaks. I mean, really, the reality of creation is, is God, why would you take, why six days? You could have just, boop. But he spoke, and then day one, it was good. And then he differentiates and creates the day two. There's the pattern, the 6-1 rotation pattern. But I'm saying to you, greater than the creation, and don't we love the creation? The beauty of spring. Everybody, you know, so everybody was so happy yesterday. Everybody was happy. I went to Home Depot, and they're giving out hot dogs. I go, like, why, why are you giving out free hot dogs? Of course, I stood in line to get my hot dog. You know? <laughs> I'll take mustard. They were toasting the buns, too. And she said, it's spring. <laughs> and even some old grumps. They looked like old grumps around. They were kind of like smiling. I was cutting up with them, you know. This kind of I was reminding them, you get what you pay for. <laughs> boy, oh boy, we love creation. And it's starting to bud and bloom. And it's beautiful. Faithy does her flowers. And we... Oh, out of the appearance of that which was, that's God's beautiful creation. I'm saying the work that Christ did at Calvary was greater than creation. Greater than sustaining it, even to this moment. You don't have to sing. I said that last week, you know, this broad way. The sun will come up tomorrow, bet your bottom. Yes, it will, because God said it would. Thank the Lord for that. Isn't that great? Greater than creation, greater than Jesus' miracles on earth. Put them all together, pile them up. All of them, the healing of the blind man, the cripple, the lepers, 
All of those, right? Put them all together. The feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, raising of a, pile them all up. Jesus' work on the cross is greater than all the miracles that he did. Now, some people really struggle with the supernaturalness of the Bible. You know, they have different theologians who are there. We've got to demythologize the Bible. We know that they're superhuman. You, you know, you ever think about that? I mean, think how superhuman you are. I can hardly do much. And it's getting worse. It's on the decline. Like, I go very long without laying down for a number. I'm a disaster. Ask faith. You know, it's not very. And so superhuman means something above what I'm able to do. I got news for you. It's probably not much. I mean, the bar's pretty low to do something. And here's God in flesh. You know, and he feeds the 5,000 people with bread that never grew, wheat that never grew, fish that never swam. That's God. That's the glory of God. But the work he did was greater than all of that. Say, and even one, it was greater than the sum of all the work that has ever been done. was what Jesus accomplished at Calvary. In our country, every quarter, they're always interested. What's the GNP? The gross national product. They measure total amount of goods and services, and that's what a nation produces. They try to like to hit, what, 2 or 3 or 4 percent. 4 percent is pretty good. They like that, and they measure what uh, the amount of things that are being done and made and sold and all that in the, uh, the economy. We'll take the U.S. economy, take all the world economy, and then take all the economies that ever have been. And Jesus' work on the cross was greater than all of that. Now, that's pretty amazing. That's pretty amazing. Never was God more glorified than during the six hours that Jesus hung on the cross in his great humiliation. Well, three results. I'm going to have you look at some passages in your Bible. What You say, well, what was accomplished? That, that's a good American way. We're real utilitarian. We're not too philosophical, right, Ron? We're not too much. We want to get to the bottom line. What's the result? What's the result? What's the result? So we go like, what did he actually accomplish as we move through this week and remember the cross of Jesus and his death for us what were the results? Well, three results. There are more, but three results of Jesus' great work in dying for your sin and mine. People ask, why did God take our place and bear our sin? What was accomplished by this self-sacrifice? It seems like such a waste. People have told me that. Why? Why can't he just let us all in heaven, you know? Well, the, the, the answer here, what's the result? I'm just going to present three as they strike me. Uh, and if you get that, if you got it now, you can leave early, maybe. I don't, I don't know. Uh, but really, he, what, what's the result? He accomplished salvation. Yeah, he died there for you and for me. He, he delivered us from the penalty of our sin. Salvation, we sing about that. We talk a lot. We say we're the saved. So, so, we're the delivered, the rescued. That's what we mean by that. We were in our sins. Christ died for us, and he saved us. He delivered us from the penalty of our sin. Save. Second thing, if you notice it, he is revelation. God revealed himself there in the best of all possible ways, for God always does that which is the best of all possible ways, but God revealed himself. There were things at the cross that was done during that six hours that only the cross could tell. 
And they've revealed us uh, uh, something wonderful about God that, uh, that, w- that the angels from eternity past had, had looked at and wondered about, but they, uh, that, uh, although they were created in time. But now they were going to see in full technicolor the wonder of God. You see, the glory of God means to show God is holy, but what do you mean he's absolutely different, altogether different, in a league all his own, separated? It's going to reveal who, what he's like. And, uh, and so, not only did it provide salvation, but it revealed the glory of God. And the third thing, it provided conquest. Victory! I mean, when you read the New Testament, it's so victorious all the way through. It's not like, and they got sick and died, and then they died, and that's it. And, and the story. Have you ever noticed that? There's a triumphant theme all the way through. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. We are victors! Neither life nor death nor anything shall separate the victorious theme uh, that was accomplished at the cross. So these are, these are three that just jump out at me. He provided our salvation. He revealed something about God we would never see. The proverb says, even a child is known by his actions and by the work that Christ did. He screams to us something of the wonder of who he is. What we're going to see is justice. He is just. He's a God of love. He loved that much? He's a God of wisdom. <gasps> Only God could figure that one out. I couldn't. I can't even remember my social security number. God figured the great problem out of all time without the denying his holy character. Wow. And then the power of God to take such a thing and be the way in which he would save people. We go like, ah. <gasps> And if you're like that, you're standing right where Paul is in Romans 11. When he goes like, God, he goes into this doxology because the end of all of this, we just look up and we go like, oh, the wonder of the matchless wisdom and power of God. It's past finding out. Oh, it's not too hard to be past finding out in my mind. Maybe you're a math whiz or you're good at this or that and you love problem solving. I got news for you. This was made way more than a conundrum. This was the problem of problem. Really, how is God going to solve the problem of evil without denying himself and save a people? It's the great problem. And so the salvation. Well, f- number one then, salvation. Jesus rescued us through the cross. Now, in describing this, the New Testament presents several pictures in helping us to grasp this great truth, pictures. Pictures, they tell us, are worth a thousand words. Have you ever noticed that? My father was an engineer by training, mechanical engineer, and, and uh, you know that, I've said it enough, and he was uh, not very verbal. He was not very verbal at all, and uh, I, I don't remember too many times him saying, uh, oh, I loved you. I mean, it was my mother that, that, <laughs> that, that balanced that out by far and helped me in that way. He helped me in a lot of ways, of course. <clears throat> but um, he would always say, actions speak louder than what? Words. Yeah, actions speak louder than words. And if he was giving us a list of work to do, and he always did that, you know, he would end up talking with him, and we'd go like, what that? I don't know what, he'd draw a picture. And it would be like an engineer, perfect. That was the day, uh, John, before CAD and all that, where they actually <laughs> did the drawings. Beautiful. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah, there's the pick. Take that with you. 
Look at the picture. The, the New Testament helps us to understand this salvation by, by giving us pictures of it. And there's a variety of them. And I'm so grateful for it. Some of you love going to the museums and see some of the great pictures of the great artists, right? He pres and, and if you've been saved very long, you should come to know these. Just don't check your brains in the parking lot when we start to think about these things. You ought to have familiarity. These are biblical terms. And you ought to, if you're in third grade in God's school, grow up into junior high, high school, and be a post-grad. So come to know these terms and study, study them. Well, in describing the several, uh, in the New Testament, this, this salvation that is ours because of the cross, several pictures uh, presenting uh, this great truth of the treasure of the gospel. And you see them on your sheet. That propitiation is one. There's a 50-cent word. B, redemption is another. The C is justification. And D, reconciliation. Now, they're big words. They're big theological but they're biblical words. And therefore, you shouldn't have a handle and study as to what these mean. And, and, and it provides different language, and I, I appreciate this, okay? The first one is probably about the hardest for us to get our handle, our heads around, but not so for the Jews of that day, for they were always sacrificing. For propitiation is the language of the temple. And that seems really foreign to us. We go like, ah, we don't have a temple you know, um, the veil was ripped when Christ died. We, we don't go to the temple. We don't sacrifice. We don't give our lambs, any of that. So for us today in, in uh, you know, 20 centuries, we're really like, wow, that's the most different to, to us. Look at, uh, I want you to look at some passages today, rather than just lock into one like we normally do. But look at, look at Romans uh, 3. Paul in this section is uh, bringing the whole world, every man, woman, child, under the, the condemnation and judgment of God. And he does that before he's going to point them to Jesus for justification. But uh, in uh, Romans 3, look at verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifest apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift. Look at the words now. Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation, there's our word, by His blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be, now notice, both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now Paul writes some pretty heavy theology, tightly woven there, but I want you to see this word propitiation. Well, by, look at it on your sheet now. By, by Jesus' death, number one, God's holy wrath against us was satisfied. It was appeased. God in his holiness and in his justice is offended at sin and rebellion and treason. And Jesus, by his death, in offering his own blood as our substitute, brought about the satisfaction of God's wrath that hung over us by nature. That's what he's talking about. Appeasement. 
because of God who is holy in his very essence. Number two, remember it is God himself in Christ who makes the appeasement. It's not us. A lot of the uh, so-called religions of the world, they try to appease God. They try to buy God off. They try to, 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 to merit some sort of, oh, maybe now God will love me and treat me well. Notice here in the true salvation that propitiation comes only by God himself through his own son. It is God who makes the appeasement. God himself and Jesus died for our sin and gave himself as a sacrifice. Well, propitiation, big word, big word. You leave today, you go, so said, I was at church. Well, what would you learn? Propitiation. Be careful. People might think you're swearing or something. You know, it's so foreign to our culture. Well, what does that mean? That Jesus died and has satisfied the just wrath of God against me through the death of his own son. Can you believe that God would do that for me? I had to do, I was the problem. He did it all. All to him I owe. Propitiate. Second, redemption. Now this is more common to us, this redemption that God did in rescuing us. This is the language of the marketplace. This is, this is the Americans, right? The Madison Avenue, the advertising, and all the rest. The marketplace. Ah, the mall, the shopping centers, right? We Americans know something about that, right? We go down in our sweaty palms, and we pull out our money, and we give them money, and we get something in return. And so we understand that uh, very well. Redemption. Um, there used to be, um, when I was a kid, I remember my mother, would uh, she would collect the um, S&H &H green stamps, and I licked and helped fill books, <laughs> and she collected the books, <laughs> looked through the catalog to the Redemption Center, that's coming back now, Redemption Center, and she, would, she got stuff for the backyard, and <laughs> it comes back. That's, that's biblical, great biblical words, you know, Redemption Center, Oh, it's another, it's a different picture showing us what Jesus did in providing our salvation. Uh, the, it's a business that means to buy back. It always involves a price. A price must be paid through his blood. God bought us in the marketplace of sin and slavery. We've been bought. You know, we sing those songs, bought by the blood, bought by... Where's it? it comes from this picture we're looking at where God buys us out of the marketplace of sin, slavery, and death through the precious blood of the Lord. It's a beautiful picture, and I think we get a better handle on this. I remind you of the words that Paul, if Paul went in, in the Corinth, and God, uh, through the power of the gospel, saved. I mean, the Corinthians were so immoral. They were so grossly sinful in sexual matters. I mean, it was a sailor town on the isthmus of, the, the, uh, of Corinth there, and, uh, and the power of the gospel saved people. And they uh, came out of all kinds of backgrounds, some of them very lewd. And, and they were trying, now they're saved and they're new believers. And they're like, how's the gospel changed the way I live? I mean, is sex is just like uh, eating food? I mean, God gave us an appetite to eat after church. You're going to say, we're going to eat. And you're going to say that because you're like, God gave me an appetite. You know, it's not sinful. It's just an appetite. I'm going to go chow down, have some soup, have a salad, have a steak. I don't know, right? And, and in Corinth, they were confused and say, well, 
you know, God gave us with a physical appetite for food, gives us a physical appetite for sexual matters. Uh, you know, let's, there's no difference. You just go and do what you want. They were trying to hammer through the early phases of living for Jesus. And Paul writes to, uh, to help them understand, uh, and, and that's the whole thing hinges there. Uh, back on, look at verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 6. Uh, he calls him in 18, flee. It means run from sexual immorality, that's pornea, run from it. Every other sin a person commits is outside his body, but you Corinthians who know Jesus, but the sexually immoral person, he sins against his own body. It isn't. It's just not satisfying a God-given appetite, sexuality. And the point is in 19, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? Your body is the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God when you were saved. You are not your own. Oh, what's that? For you were bought with a price. There it is. We don't belong to ourselves. God, uh, whether we live or die, we're the Lord. We've been bought with a price, so glorify God in your body, Paul says. It's a reminder. You've been bought. That was my point in that. In the case here on sexual purity, and God wants us to be, live sexually pure in a very impure day, and it is. And why should I? We've been bought. I don't even own myself. My heart, my mind, my body, my body. It belongs to Jesus. Wow, what a message. What beautiful and you've been bought. Well, it's only through the shed blood of Christ that we are ransomed. And you can look at that First Peter 1. That is so beautiful. Wow. Well, propitiation. God's wrath is satisfied. What a Redemption. Oh, he bought me out of the marketplace of sin through the blood of Jesus. Then see his justification. This is the language of the courtroom. Oh, probably. If I ask you, have you been in the courtroom lately? You know, like, how about traffic court? <laughs> yeah, not guilty, you know. I, uh, a number of years ago, I, I got a speeding ticket, and uh, this is, a long, this is a, actually a long time ago, thankfully. I uh, probably do, you know. But um, I went there because I objected because the, they used fast car. It was in Indiana, and uh, the officer got the color of my car wrong. And my defense to the judge was, uh, Your Honor, um, I don't think I was traveling that fast. And not only that, the officer couldn't even get the car in my car right. I think he was thinking of someone else. Well, the judge was a little annoyed. The officer was there. You know, they have to show up. And so uh, he ended up saying, uh, and the officer said, well, uh, you know, he wrote on the ticket wrong. And, I, and so he ended up, uh, well, all right, uh, how about half the price? I could tell I wasn't going to win. So... I could tell he was like an old ornery judge. So I took it at that. I go like, okay, fine, fine. I'll pay 140, I'll pay 70. Boy, they're expensive too, aren't they? Have you noticed that? How many have noticed that? Look at it, I'm seeing who had tickets. <laughs> wow, that's about our experience with court, right? This, this word justification is not traffic court. It's not night court, but it's the language of the courtroom. And it's the judge sitting at the bench rendering the final verdict. He hits his gavel, and he declares innocent. So it's the courtroom language. It's different from the temple. It's different from the marketplace. It's the courtroom. He, he declares us just, innocent. Romans, uh, if you're still in Romans, look at 324. 
Let's reread that again. And uh, um, uh, uh, 323, and all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified. That means declared innocent, righteous by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. It bestows upon you and I a righteous standing before God. You know, if there's anything we don't deserve, it's that. I mean, we stand there and the old hymn, clothed in the righteous clothes of Jesus, and we're just figuratively singing that the righteousness that is given to us by faith, the channel of faith, that God gives us the faith, we are saved and regenerate, and we are declared that gavel hits the bench, righteous because of the imputed righteousness of Jesus. It's given to us. Like, we'll never say, that's not fair. I hear that a lot. Do you hear that a lot? People go like, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Uh, we, we ought to have fairness, fairness. Well, you'll never, you'll never say, God, that's not fair. Give me what I deserve. Don't ever pray for that. Pray for God's mercy, His kindness, where He passes over. Well, that's justification. But uh, the question is, how can a holy God do this? That's the great theodicy, the biggest question in the whole universe. Only God in his wisdom could figure this out and then carry it out according to the scriptures. The justification comes through the channel of faith when we believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ declared righteous or declared just because the righteousness of Christ has been given to us as a gift. It was the biggest problem in all the world. Look, we, 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 we hate cancer, right? We're so glad you guys are here today. And, and we pray for Nancy. And cancer is such a terrible thing, you know. Uh, and wouldn't it be great someday, you know, we say, well, that's the great medical problem if we could solve cancer. The, the problem with cancer in my puny mind is, is the multiplication and division of cells it strikes to the very heart of cell reproduction. And if the cells are malformed, and then the malformed reproduce others, it's right at the cellular division molecular level. It's not an easy problem. It's extremely difficult. But wouldn't it be great someday if uh, through the molecular or however they discover the key to can cancer, and you know, won't we, wouldn't that be a, that'd be paused to, wouldn't that be great? You're like, wow, that's great. The, the great problem is solved. I say to you, this, this problem is even greater than that because it goes past death and goes into eternity that God in his holiness, how is he going to declare sinful men and women just and holy? Wow, it's through the justification, the righteousness of Jesus. Wow. Well, the last uh, picture is reconciliation. And this is the one that's most personal, and we, we know this the best. Because it's a, it's a term of family or personal friendship. You know, it's not the temple. Ah, that seems so far away. That's ah, foreign. Marketplace, oh, I, a payment of a price. Oh, okay, I got that. Uh, justification, ah, I'm not a lawyer. You know, you know justification, right? ah, okay. But this one, reconciliation, ah, that strikes me down between my personal relationships. It's a family term. It's a family. I told you we grew up with seven kids in our family. I was second of seven. And with mom and dad, somebody was always on the outs. 
And I'd say to my brother, you're going you're gonna to get it. You know, you're, <laughs> and he knew it. He'd be in like a cold sweat, you know. Like, and he'd be like hiding out. He'd be in his uh, bed. Dale, where are you? He's doing his homework. Well, that was a real switch, you know, like kind of laying low, you know. <laughs> he was on the outs. You know, there was going to be, uh, Dad was going to deal with things uh, at the dinner table after we were done eating. And that ruined dinner always because everyone knew what was coming. And it just wasn't the same, you know what I mean? But after it was done, then uh, he had to pay the penalty, or I did, plenty of times. <laughs> My sisters almost never. I, I can't, still can't figure that out. And Faithy was like that, too, I think. You know, like, we are always in double trouble, and the girls like, yeah, you're an angel. How come you never get in trouble? This kind of thing. But uh, the girls would fight among themselves. Oh, have you noticed that sometimes girls do that? Ooh, ooh, like a cat fight or something. Anyway, when it was all done, and for a moment, it was like, ah, is that peace? Then we have peace in the house. And I'm just sort of like, not happy, but it's not bad. There's not like hostility in the home. Or in a marriage when they're at odds, that's what it is. But they've been brought together, and there's, there's been forgiveness and, 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 and reconciliation. There's peace. There's no more this enemy. And we all understand that in, in friendship and in marriage and in our home and family and children. It's the language. It speaks peace and joy through a restored relationship. And in 2 Corinthians, this is the picture that Paul presents here. Uh, of the gospel and the treasure of the gospel in 2 Corinthians 5. Look at that. Verse 18, 2 Corinthians 5, 18. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us. There's the word. Reconciled us to himself. God did it. And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God, God was uh, reconciling the world to himself, making it no more at enmity or at odd or hatred or hostility, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the ministry, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we're ambassadors for Christ. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you, be, uh, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin, legal sin, who knew no sin, that's our Lord, so that we might become the righteousness of God. God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. We're peacemakers. Some of you are old enough and you remember Henry Kissinger, right? He was, uh, he was the great uh, peacemaker flying all around the world in Paris peace talks and all these kind of things, so-called. I don't know if they did much good. I have no idea on that. But he was heralded as the great peacekeeper. Well, you know, that's why I say in the bulletin, when you leave here, you're leaving to the mission field as missionaries. God has given to us the ministry of bringing people together with Jesus and reconciling peace. Peace, no longer at odds, no longer enemies. That's the gospel. Reconciliation. Beautiful pictures. Don't you agree? Propitiation. Satisfied. Redemption bought. Justified. Declared righteous. Reconciled. Peace. Oh, it's great. And God took the initiative in all of these. Well, what was accomplished? You were rescued. Some of you remember 1979. It's come to surface recently with the Iranian hostage situation with uh, Khomeini, and uh, and they came in and they took the M United States Embassy in Tehran in 79, and it began uh, 444 days 
They were, uh, they were held as prisoners there, uh, ambassadors and their staff uh, there in Tehran. It was a terrible thing. And it was a terrible thing for President Jimmy Carter. Remember that? He, he really shut down. He didn't know what to do. Uh, and, uh, and one day they came up with a plan. Do you remember that? The plan, it was secret, that they were going to send in three large helicopters and they were going to try and rescue, rescue the hostages. It was a daring thing. And the thing ended up horrible. The, uh, the helicopter, uh, helicopter didn't have the right filter on. They landed in the desert. The desert stand caused a crash. It killed some of the soldiers that were going in to, to provide the rescue. And the whole thing was a fiasco and certainly led to his losing re-election and to the demise of that presidency. A failed rescue attempt. I'm here to say that the great joy of this week is that Jesus accomplished the great rescue. It didn't die in the desert, but he provided on that cross what looked like the end of the story. God's great counterinsurgence plan provided in that deliverance and rescue for you and for me if you know him and owe him as your Lord and Savior. Well, salvation, deliverance. But more than that, and quickly now, we'll move faster. The second uh, result is revelation. God displayed himself through the cross. Action speaks louder than words. Action speaks louder than words. God is going to speak through what he does here in leading his own son through the death, that cruel cross. God's glory that is, his majesty was put on this public display. One man calls it the theater of the cross. Unveiled our God like nothing else could. His among a lot of things, his justice, his love, his wisdom, his power came into focus like nothing else could ever have made it so clear. Wow. Clear focus. God was put on display. Well, his justice. And, you know, Peter alludes to that. Uh, when he pulls back the curtain, don't you love that, where in, in Peter, where the angels in heaven are watching all the things unfold, uh, wondering about all of this in regards to God's own Son, watching almost with bated breath, wondering about what was coming next. They're not omniscient. They're created being they're greater than we are now but uh, they're watching this public display of God in his glory well the justice of God we've talked about God presented Christ as a sacrifice for atonement he demonstrates his justice he is just he's not like a, a cheap third world judge that can be easily bought up he's not on the take the mafia doesn't have that judge in his back pocket I know that never happens, but we hear about that thing, right? And you don't know any that way, or any cops that are bad cops, right? That kind of thing. God can't be bought off. It's just, it means absolute fairness. The word has undergone a change in our day, in our culture. You'll, you'll, you'll hear a lot about justice. Politicians talk about justice, justice, and they're, they're changing the meaning of the word. What they mean is absolute the same for everybody. That's crazy. That's absolutely insane. That will never happen in the fallen world which we live in. The biblical sense of justice is absolute fairness. You did the crime, you do the time. There it is. Boom. Boom. 
You didn't? You get this. It's e justice is getting fairly what you deserve. And we're scoundrels. We deserve destruction, the lake of fire right now. Not another hour enjoying God's beautiful spring. That's fairness. I never pray to God, Lord, give me fairness. Carry him out of here, right? God is just. And you say, well, how just? Look at the cross. God's justice couldn't be bought off, could not be winked at, demanded satisfaction. Even to that depth, they go, ah, that God's own son would, ah, God, is that just that the payment had to be made? Wow. And it puts us back. But more than that, we discover in the text, in 326, as we read, he is not only just, but he's the justifier. He's the one that is, 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 is solidly, firmly just. But then he provides the way of escape in justifying lost sinners. That's why nobody can have anything to say against God's elect. I mean, who can say it? Who can, who can say, like, he's a scoundrel? I am. But God is just. Yes, but he justified. He made the only way of escape. Wow, the justice of God. And you see, from ages back, they knew that God was just. Abraham knew that. The Old Testament saints knew that God was just. Shall not the judge of the whole earth do right? They knew that, right? But then to see it displayed to that degree that God would send his own son, it almost takes your breath away. And displaying the justice of God. I know that God is just, but to that degree... It just, it, you, you, wow. And one other thought, by the way, I have on here, he, uh, uh, by the way he justified us, he also justified himself. What do I mean by that? You see, he had passed over the sins since Adam to that point. And they didn't get, they didn't get theirs, you know, so to speak. It's a great, great question of evil in the world and, why do the wicked uh, uh, prosper and sometimes the righteous suffer? Larry preached on Psalm 73 the other week. You know, that, that great question of that. And, and all this period of time, God didn't, uh, like, carry out justice. And, the, and you go, like, what? there's evil. Bad people are doing, prospering and good people are, are suffering. And it makes no sense if God, the, the, the whole theodicy thing, you know, the, why, if there's a God, how can he tolerate evil if he's good? You know, he must not be all-powerful, but good. He can't, you know, you get into all of that. And the answer to that is look at Calvary. And so God, in the sending of his son and his justice, justified himself. There's evil being carried out, and yet in the greatest single evil act that ever took place, the greatest possible good comes out of it. And then the second answer is at the end of the time, and the answer to that question, God will judge every man and woman who has ever lived. And every tongue will confess, and we will give an account of ourselves. Wow. Well, God's justice. But say, how about his love? You know, we, we know that God is love. A lot of people know that Bible verse. God is love. God is love. As if that's all that God is. It's a holy love. It's a, it's a love like no other love. And apart from Christ and his cross, the world would never know what true love really is. And I would submit to you the definition of love. Don't look in, in Webster's Dictionary. Look at Calvary. That's the definition of real love. 
Jesus held out, spread out his arms. How much do, you, do, you, do I love you? This much. And they nailed into his hands and, and they raised and he died for you. God so agapazo, he so loved the world. And you go like, well, academically, the angels and those of yesterday knew that God was love, certainly. Abraham knew that. And, uh, but then to see it displayed in technicolor, God, God loves like that? Oh, it takes your breath away. And so God was put on display, not only his justice, but his love. Romans 5.8, Paul writes, And God displayed his love in this, that Christ died for you. God commendeth his love in this, that Christ died for you. Christ died. How do, how do we know that uh, God loves us? Look at Calvary. He proved it. And then he continues to pour the love of God through the Spirit of God into our hearts. And we love one another. In the true church, we don't even have to work it up. You know, this morning, I hope you have to get in the mirror and go like, now come on, just kind of work it up here. Got to love those people. I know they're unlovely, but just kind of love them. You know, they're kind of ornery, kind of this and that. But just, uh, you didn't have to. If you're walking with the Lord and, you're, uh, and the Spirit of God is producing fruit in your life, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, it is God that, it's His love through you. You love the other believers and it flows. How do you know that God loves you? Look at Calvary. How do you know? He continues to give you that love. Isn't it great? I love it so much. But, but see, Paul described the glory of God and salvation. Uh, he erupts into this praise in Romans 11. I mean, it's the end of thought. It's the end of thought. And he's overcome by the incredible wisdom and the power of God, the wisdom to, to save men and women in this way. And the power of God unto salvation to everyone, he just ends up praising God. I hope that's what you do then. Do you have a song in your heart? I hope if I followed you around, I'd be listening to you sing and hum and rejoice in the Lord, singing and making melody in your heart, just praising him. I mean, we can't figure out very much. We can't figure out very much anyway. But when God tells us this little bit, we go like, wow. It's a wow. And we praise God in, in song. And I just remind you, the message of the cross will never be a popular message. Don't look for it on David Letterman at night, the top ten most. And finally, number one, the gospel of Jesus. <laughs> Don't think you're going to find it there. It's not. Why? Because it kicks us right in the pants in our pride. And I mean, we're so smart anyway, and in our intellect as well. Don't like to be told that we're scoundrels, lost, under judgment. You know, that's what I love about the church. You join a lot of clubs and, you know, they want the highfalutin. They want the spiffy. They want the successful. They want the whatever. You know, like, and, uh, and if you're not that, you need not apply. Just, not, we, don't want to, we don't know you. We don't need to know you, right? But the church, the scoundrels, the low life, the broken in spirit, Come, come, come to the cross. Come, welcome. I love that. I absolutely love it. And so for the message of the cross, you should know, will never be a popular message because it humbles the pride of our intellect and our character. God put this on complete display. I remember a number of years ago, uh, uh, Michael Jordan was, of course, a, a tremendous, probably one of the best to ever play basketball, right? 
Just Michael, Michael, Michael. Boy, unbelievable. And I, I remember after they played Boston one night, the commentator said of the game, because the Bulls just creamed the Celtics. And Michael, well, he put on a clinic. And some of you have no idea what that means. <laughs> Were they sick? No, no, that's not what he meant. He, <laughs> he just put on a clinic to just show his skills and ability. He displayed you know, his dunking, and it's just unbelievable, and they couldn't do anything, and the Bulls crushed the Celtics. He displayed himself. Incredible basketball player. That's what God did at Calvary. Not only did he provide salvation, as great as that is, but he put himself on display like no other time in all of history. To see the glory and the greatness and the goodness of God, look at the cross. Because it's put right on display. How about one other illustration? When we were growing up, and Faithy would tell me about it, they would go down and fill, she's a Philadelphia girl, go down, downtown in Philadelphia for the holidays. And I did that once when we were dating. We took the uh, train or the car down, I don't remember which. And uh, all the big department stores would begin at Thanksgiving. Remember that when Christmas shopping started after Thanksgiving? <laughs> And they were all these department stores, and many of them are no longer in business today, but they would put out the displays. And I remember going into the one, it was always so beautiful and festive. And what? They were displaying the wonder of Christmas in a lot of those ways. Of course, hoping you would spend your hard-earned money to buy gifts for Christmas and that, but they would put it on display. Just another picture showing you that's what God did at Calvary. He put himself on display like at no other time. It's marvelous. Marvelous. And the lasting uh, result, you say, what's the outcome of all of this? Why Calvary? Well, conquest. Number three, Jesus overcame evil through the cross. It's the great counterinsurgency. And look at Colossians, the last verse I'll take you to. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13, 14, and 15. Paul reminds the believers at Colossae how Jesus overcame evil through the cross. In three, th and 2, 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and, and, uh, and uh, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. Having forgiven us all, notice all, you may want to circle that, some of you may struggle over that, all of our trespasses. How did he do it? By canceling the record of debt, that's our sin, that stood against us with its legal demands. That's the law. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed his enemies, the rulers, the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in himself. That is in Christ. The New Testament affirms that, the, that uh, at the cross, Jesus defeated, disarmed, and triumphed over the devil, death, and sin. Victory. 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 It's glorious. It's wonderful. That's uh, what Jesus did. He conquered our greatest enemy. It was the place of victory. 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 Now, 
the battle, some, some folks love to do marathons. How many of you have done a marathon, or a half a marathon? I'll take half. Oh, wow, this is not an athletic group. Okay. <laughs> Mark, if Mark were here, that, you, so you guys didn't? No? Oh, you walked one? You did better than I did, yeah. Yeah, and that comes from marathon. There was a battle in the Greek days, in the Greek and the Persians, you know. And uh, it's a great story, and that's where it all comes from, 26 point, what is it, two miles, right? Something like that. And uh, there was a battle, the Persians and the Greek, and it was, a, it was Titanic. It was going to change uh, the world at that point. And, uh, and, the, and, the, at, and it was at, how about this, Marathon, okay? And the battle was uh, nearly over, and a messenger, they didn't have cell phones, sorry, in that day. Hey, King, how'd it turn out? Hey, <laughs> no. They had to, they put, the, the runner took off from, the, once victory was secured by the Greeks, started running. And he ran, and he ran 26.2 miles to report that victory was had. Victory. Victory. And you know what he came in yelling in the Greek? Huh? What do you think? Anyone know? What? Nike! That's it, David! Nike! Now, is that a great name for a running shoe? He came in yelling, Nike! Nike! It's the Greek word for victor. Victor. Some of you may want to buy that. It might help your running a little bit or walking. Victor, victor, victor. That's the term that Paul uses and we find in the New Testament that is ours. We are on the Nike, the victor side. Where'd that come from? The cross. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 8.37. You see, he wiped our slate clean. Thank the Lord for that. His death was the death of death. Three days later, he would prove it. Right? Declared Son of God with power. The evil one was crushed by the cross. Genesis 3.15, the first announcement of the gospel there in the Garden of Eden, Jesus would be the one who would crush Satan and defeat him. And we are on the victor's side. Victory. Victory. Isn't it great to be on, have a winning team? One of these days, the Bills are going to go back to the Super Bowl. And uh, though they were there four times in the, in the 90s, and uh, they got a ticket to the big dance but never won, but uh, they haven't been in the playoffs in the last 13 or 14 years. But someday, someday they may even get there and they may even win. And we go like, we won, we won, right? Some of you do that with Pittsburgh. You think you're on the Steelers. You're like, we won, we won. It doesn't even sound like a Christian name, really, Steelers. Think about it, you know? But you won your share, right? But we go like, we won, this is going to be a great year, you know, city of champions, <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea what that really means because they never experienced But in the realm of Christ at the cross, when you look at the cross, he defeats Satan and sin and death. Wow. Wow. The great plan of God. Here Satan thinks he's going to triumph by having him executed. You ever played chess? You know, they say good chess players are like, what, 20 moves down the board? I played checkers with my granddaughter and she beat me. <laughs> now she's playing chess, right, babe? She's playing chess. And you got, I don't know, any of you good at chess? Any good at it? Nobody's good at it? Okay, we're, okay, good, Genesis, good. 
You know, and you got to be way ahead, right? You got to be like, well, if she does that, I do this and this. And this. I, that sounds too. That's too confusing for it. Roger. You must be good at chess, huh? You get <laughs> Yeah, I don't even do that. But here's God. I mean, here's Satan trying to destroy the Lord of Glory, right? And he finally brings it about. Now, can you imagine his expression after it's all said and done? He realizes, what? In this, I'm defeated? Just love to see his face at that moment when it sunk in. You know how it is when things sink in? And you go, <gasps> that's what happened at the cross. Well, what difference does it make? What difference? So what should this make in your life and mine? Number, number one, marvel for only the Lord God could take the most evil event of all time. Wasn't Hitler, wasn't the Third Reich, wasn't as, as terrible as all that was, and it really was. But the most evil event of all time, the killing of the Son of God, the Lamb of God, and, and bring from it that worst possible thing, the greatest good ever done. And I'm, I, there's, that's no hyperbole there. God does these kind of things in your life and mine. I mean, when bad stuff happens, it's not end of story. Close the book. If you're still here, God is up to something. He is. I just re remind you of Joseph, remember? Joseph? I mean, 18, he's thrown in jail in a far country. His brothers got him rid of him. And now what a story. And God is working through all of it, right? To provide the deliverance of a nation. And finally, when daddy dies in 50, the brothers are all nervous. Now it's, it's a, you know, we're done because we only hung around because the dad was living. And, he, and, he's we, and Joseph weeping goes like, Listen, yes, you did an awful thing to me. It was evil. But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Only God could do that. He does that in your life. He does that in my life. So when stuff happens, and then you notice it happens, stuff happens, look up. Lord, you're the potter, I'm the clay. You're in charge. You're writing the story. Thank you, Lord. I rest in you. I hide in you. Do that, and you'll join me. Number two, look at number two. God did everything that needed to be done to save you from your sin. You didn't do a thing. You and I were the problem. It's good news and bad news. We're the bad news. I hope when your parents looked at the kids, they'd go, well, we got good news and bad news here. There's a bad news one. <laughs> no, we're all bad news. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. God did it all. It's the gift of salvation. He's the initiator. He's the provider. If you're in Christ, it is only because of his work and his work in your life. That's it. Even the faith to believe him, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so give him the glory. Give him the glory for that. Number three, be overwhelmed. I am. Join me with this. Be overwhelmed at the unfathomable depth of God's love for you. I mean, you can't touch the bottom. You ever jump in a lake and you say to your brother, can you touch the bottom? You, know, you can't see the bottom. Right? Can you touch the bottom? No, I can't touch. This bottom is, and when God's, you can't touch the bottom. It is so deep and so the height, the width, the You can't just... Be overwhelmed by God's love for that he put it on full display. More than Christmas decoration, more than an athlete. 
It is this love that ought to move you to loving him and serving him every day and every moment of your short life. And it is short. You read my Bible, short. I love Dottie's expression. I say that a lot, Dottie. That in the morning you go like, I can't believe how many years have gone by and it's like a dream, right? We live our life like a tale that's told. And Dottie, Dottie told me, I always remember, she goes like, in the morning, you know when you come into the bathroom and you're throwing water on your face, right? And then you look in the mirror and Dottie's comment was, stop scaring me like that. Because <laughs> we're all 18, I used to say 18, I don't feel 18, but maybe 28 sometimes on a good day here, you know, I go, <laughs> this kind of thing. It's short. Number four, you are on the victor side. I don't know if you played sports and you're always on the losing team. You know, some of you look like you were. You know, you don't run and stuff like that. You know, like it's losing team, losing team. My granddaughter's soccer team has lost every game so far. I had to tell her yesterday, my first year of Little League Baseball, we lost all 14 games. Every single one. I told my father, then, I hate baseball. <laughs> And then I told her, I said, you know what happened next year? She said, what, Papa? We won the championship. <laughs> and I had a little trophy. I always want a little trophy like that, right? We're on the victor side. You are on the victor side. Come on. You look like you're sucking on lemons. Come on. Come on. Rejoice. Be joyful in the Lord. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It should cause you to smile and rejoice as the days fly by. Number five, this morning, I reminded that Jesus is calling you to believe upon him as your Lord and Savior. I don't know if you have. I would do it for you if I could. I can't. And for your loved ones and friends that are out here, they need Jesus. People need the Lord. They need to hear this. It's the greatest love story ever. It's the greatest gift, especially this week. He can be yours if you've never trusted him. The sinners for our Lord Jesus, be merciful unto me, a sinner. Praise God. Praise the Lord. It is the glory of the cross of Jesus that we celebrate this morning. Let's stand, and before we close, do you know the song well enough? Just the one part, Jesus paid it all. Can we just sing that a cappella, and we'll close in prayer. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it. Why so let's just sing that, okay? And then we'll close in prayer. Raj started. Made it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Father, we ask your blessing upon us as we depart now into the mission field as your missionaries. And may we carry this message of peace to all that we should meet in our homes and families and neighborhood, places where we work and play. And may the love of Jesus radiate through us to others, Lord, as ambassadors of Jesus. Thank you for this day and for this holy week. We celebrate the wonder of the cross and the empty tomb. Go before us and favor us and make us a blessing to all that we should meet. In Jesus' name, amen. And God's people.